The Jets are two games away from another miserable season coming to an end. We preview their matchup with the Steelers and talk beat writer memories with the Post Steve Serby. All that and more next on Gangs All Here with the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome to Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and Jets beat writer, Brian Costello. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cos. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. All right, well, the Jets have two more left before the season is over. Uh, Sunday against the Steelers and then at the Bills. <clears throat> Not really meaningful for the Jets, but definitely meaningful, meaningful for the Steelers this week and possibly for the Bills next week. Uh, depending on what happens this weekend, but talking to Jets players today, they don't want to really hear that that you know that's not meaningful for them. Uh, Jamal Adams was pretty adamant calling these playoff games for the Jets, that saying you know these, these have huge meaning for them and they're out there to win them, and they don't want to hear about anything about draft position or they should be tanking or losing to get better draft positions. They're going to be playing to win, and you know, I think you've seen that from the Jets. I, I haven't seen any signs of quit in them, even in Baltimore. You know, they were clearly outclassed by a better team, but I didn't think they rolled over for the Ravens. Uh, you know, they played them tough, and I think you'll see that against the Steelers. Talking to Steve McClendon today, kind of the he's kind of the veteran leader of the defense. He said he's told guys, you know, we need to learn how to win games in December if we want to play in January in the future. And so he's emphasizing that. That's kind of a theme that, that, he, that he struck today when I was talking to him. And the Jets have not played well in December in recent years. It's hard to think of many games they've won in December. So I do think this could have some meaning for them if they, they finish the season strong uh, entering 2020. This is also a big game for Le'Veon Bell. You know, the Steelers are where he played for, you know, his whole career until this year. Obviously, he had the contract dispute with them. Uh, so, you know, he might try to downplay this. We haven't talked to him yet in the media, but he uh, – you know, you know, this is going to have some meaning for him and he's going to want to go out and play well. And I thought he had his best game uh, in Baltimore. I thought the Jets did some things running the ball that they haven't been able to do all year with him. So maybe they can build off of that in this game against the Steelers. Uh, the other storyline that I'm kind of interested in is the the fans at MetLife on Sunday. Traditionally, the Steelers invade opponents' buildings and they've done that with the Jets many times. And I can't see it any different this Sunday. Obviously, the Jets are five and nine. Uh, people are doing their Christmas shopping. <laughs> They're not going to be interested in going to sit out at MetLife on Sunday, I don't think, to watch the Jets. So I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of terrible towels there. Now, a few weeks ago, when the Raiders came in, uh, they had a lot of fans. And after the game, it was kind of a big talking point of the Jets that they felt disrespected by all these Raiders fans <clears throat> in the building Excuse me, that, that came out and they uh, they were cheering during the warmups for the Raiders and Jamal Adams kind of said that kind of fired the Jets up, so we'll see if they can draw any similar motivation here Sunday uh, from seeing all the black and gold that will be in the stands. Obviously, a very big game for the Steelers. They need this game uh, to keep their playoff hopes alive. So uh, you know, I expect it to be a pretty exciting, you know, tough fought game. I don't think the Jets are just going to roll over here against Pittsburgh, and obviously the Steelers have plenty of motivation in this game. I'd like to welcome in now my colleague Steve Serby, longtime New York Post columnist. You can follow Steve on Twitter at NYPost underscore Serby and read his columns in the Post and at NYPost.com. 
uh, sir. Well, we're going to break down this big matchup for the Jets this week against the Steelers. Uh, 5-9, there's not much left to play for, but the Steelers have something to play for here with the playoffs on the line. What, uh, what interests you most about this game on Sunday between the Jets and Steelers? Well, obviously, this is the uh, Le'Veon Bell Bowl. Um, you know, Le'Veon uh, is not the same player as he was uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, the Steelers are not the same team without him. Um, so there'll be a lot of intrigue. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading Costello in uh, Friday's New York Post uh, for his insights on it. But, uh, you know, th- that's, the main, that's the main focus. The Steelers are, sh- are gunning for the playoffs. Um, and Jamal Adams said today that uh, these, are, these are two playoff games. This is a playoff game Sunday for the Jets, even though they're not they have no shot at the playoffs for the ninth straight year, I might add. Um, but uh, Jamal's going to lead the emotional charge, and uh, uh, it won't be uh, a friendly Jets team that that welcomes Duck Duck to MetLife Stadium, and he better duck. Coincidentally, the last playoff game was also against the Steelers, so Jamal's just picking up from 2011, I guess. Yeah, uh, I was at that game, actually, when uh, – when Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez forgot to show up for the start of it, uh, yeah. they made a late bid and, of course, lost. And uh, that was the last uh, last we heard of Rex and Mark Sanchez. Uh, what do you? What kind of chances do you give the Jets against the Steelers on Sunday? They've played pretty good defense all year long, and done it with kind of a patchwork offense, like you mentioned. Duck Hodges now at quarterback. Uh, you know, how do you see this game going? Well, I mean, Duck Duck Hodges doesn't scare anybody except maybe his own coaches. But um, James Conner is healthy now. Um, I expect uh, the Jets to have their hands full with him. But uh, aside from the game in Baltimore, aside from what we saw against Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, the Jets are stout against the run. And uh, Steve McClendon uh, is looking forward to his matchup with his old former, with his old Steeler teammates. So it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Sam Darnold's got to uh, pick it up a little bit. Uh, it would be nice if he finished this this two game uh, uh, stint uh, on a high note because he's been a little bit up and down the last few few weeks and uh, um, it, it's going to be a tight game. It'll probably go down to the wire and maybe Sam Ficken wins another one at the end. <laughs> uh, I think with Sam Darnold, with the other Sam he talked about, it, you know, I think it'd be good for the Jets and for Darnold if his last turnover of the year was that pick at the end of the first half in Baltimore. If he can go through these last two games without turning the ball over, I think that would be a positive step for him at the end of his second season. Uh, what what are you looking to see from Darnold here in these last two games, sir? He's got to avoid those, uh, those growing pains turnovers. And I'm also looking for him to uh, get the ball to Robbie Anderson, who is making his uh, salary drive right now, trying to make those contested catches and, showing that he's a well-rounded receiver. And, uh, Kaz, you kind of think that the Jets may bring him back, right? I do after these last few weeks. I probably didn't a few weeks ago. I think the question is how much, you know, and I think Robbie will get about $11 million to $14 million a year if you look at the other receivers. Some people even think maybe more than that if you look at some of the contracts that have been handed out to wide receivers over the years. Uh, you know, the question in my mind is what else do the Jets want to do uh, and, and allocating those resources. Are they going to go out and spend money on another wide receiver? Because Robbie really isn't a number one, I don't think. So 
are they going to try to sign the number one receiver? If you do that, then you can't really allocate too much money at one position like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Douglas thinks, what Adam Gase thinks after the season. But Robbie has been impressive over the past month. Um, and I think he's shown he's a little bit more than just a go route runner. I think he looks comfortable in Gase's offense now, and he and Darnold are clicking. So that's going to be an interesting story story to follow this offseason. Um, you know, and talking about interesting stories, there aren't many left with the Jets this year, but sort of our producer here, Jake Brown, uh, wanted me to tell a story about Andy Pettit from my life covering baseball and with Garrett Cole signing with the Yankees. Obviously, Pettit played a role in that. I think the money may have had a little bit more to do with it than Andy's pitch, but Andy did have something to do with it. And you and I both share growing up on uh, Andy Pettit's doorstep and knocking on his door. Um, so, you know, my story was after the 2010 season, that's when Andy was considering retirement the first time. And he kind of had gone dark. He wasn't answering questions. His agents weren't answering. So the post sent me down to Deer Park, Texas, and uh, I knocked on his door. And at first his wife answered and basically I, you know, she said, Andy didn't want to talk to me. And I said, you know, I had to talk to him. I wouldn't leave. Um, And then he, he eventually came out. I think I I left and came back and he came out and he was not happy, but Andy being Andy eventually talked to me and gave me a good story. And then when I saw him at it, he ended up retiring a few weeks later. And when I saw him there, he came over and uh, well, he first at the press conference when I asked the question, he he really got me pretty good. He said, oh, "I'm happy to see Brian here in New York, not hiding in my bushes and scaring my neighbors." And he said, "You know, my neighbors called the police because they saw a scruffy little man hanging around around my house, and uh, you know they were scared." And he's like, "So it's good to see Brian." Here. And then so then he came over. I'll get, he came over and he hugged me afterwards, and he said, uh, "He goes, he just whispered in my ear. He goes, you knew I was going to get you." And uh, he did. It was pretty good, Andy. And it was on Yes Network. So everybody, like, I got a ton of text messages from people who uh, who saw Andy get me. But always an interesting experience when you knock on someone's door. And Serby, you had you had gone to Pettit's house when he went to Houston when he signed with the Astros. Is that right? What happened was our photographer Anthony Causey and I flew to Houston together, rented a car, drove, found his house. And I I had trepidation about knock. I don't like knocking on guys' doors that. I mean, I knew him a little bit, but not really well enough to invade his family's privacy. So anyway, what I thought of, um, I knew that he was friendly with Jim Leritz, former Yankee teammate. So I called Leritz and told him, look, I'm about to knock on Andy Pettit's door. I need you to stay on the phone with me in case he comes to the door. So he did. And as uh, I knock on the door and um, his wife answers the door and I just, I said to her, hi, uh, Jim Leyritz is on the phone. And I just handed her my phone and she spoke to Leyritz for a few minutes. And then uh, that kind of broke the ice. And then she got Andy and Andy had a Christmas party to go to, I believe. But Andy being Andy, a, a class act, always was, um, sat down for like 15 minutes with us. Causey did his photography thing. I got the story I needed. And then Causey and I headed back to the airport. And uh, that was it. Yeah, mine actually took a couple days because he wasn't there when I first went to his house. And I had to wait it out a couple of days and then he showed up. But it was I remember saying to him, um, you know, I did this. I, I knew I, I knew you wouldn't come out and, and 
you know, go too crazy on me. I said I never would have done this with Clemens. I never would have gone to his house because no, Roger no. might have come out with a gun. <laughs> so, but yeah, Andy, like you said, he was such a nice guy. You know, well, the, was, the Yankees, the Yankees were very smart for using him in the recruitment of Garrett Cole. They were, yeah, yeah, because Andy and and then nobody thrived on the big stage quite like Andy. So, uh, I'm sure he sold that to Garrett Cole and and being here. Did he uh, did he also recruit Le'Veon Bell to the Jets? I don't remember. <laughs> no, I think that was all. I think that was all Mike McCagnan. Yeah, you know what I'd like to see Sunday is I'd like to see them use Le'Veon the way I thought they use him as a as a security blanket for Sam out of the backfield. Well, you know it's funny. I I talked. I'm writing a story you mentioned for Friday about Le'Veon, and I talked to Todd Haley, who was his coordinator in Pittsburgh, and he said they never called those plays. That was all Ben Roethlisberger. He said, you know, Le'Veon would block, 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 and then at the last second go out, and he and Ben had such a feel that, like, he would hit him. And he said it's impossible to think Sam Darnold and he could develop that this year. Like, it's going to take – it would take a long time. And he said, like, you know, they really didn't call a lot of pass plays for Le'Veon. It was all – it was sort of he and Ben played that game. And I think, you know, I've heard a lot of like, oh, why don't they split them out more? And that was also something they didn't really do in Pittsburgh. They did it a very little bit. Um, you know, it's memorable because he had some big plays from it, but they really didn't do it that much. I think some of this stuff has kind of gotten exaggerated. And also interesting, um, you know, I've heard like they haven't given him the ball enough this year. He's ninth in the NFL in touches. Yeah, so. yeah. But, it, but don't forget with the Steelers one year, I think he caught 85 passes. Ben and he had such a great feel together from spending so much time together and working together that, you know, it was different. And like you said, they couldn't cover him because you had guys on the outside, not, you know, Antonio Brown, Juju for a little while, but they've had great receivers on the other side for years uh, in Pittsburgh. And, you know, if you watch the Baltimore game, I, there was the times where I could saw they were trying to get the ball to Le'Veon and Earl Thomas was covering him. So it's unusual that a safety is covering a running back, but, the Jets don't have many other threats right now. No, but uh, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid it's going to be time to trade Le'Veon on the offseason. The Jets have too many holes, and especially if they're going to sign Jamal Adams, which I think they should. Uh, I would I would see what I would see what I could get for Le'Veon, and however much they have to pay off the contract, uh, he just he doesn't fit here. He doesn't fit here, and um, you I know, anyone, I just I just don't know who's going to be interested. You know, there wasn't there wasn't anyone interested in March. Well, a team that looks at him as the final piece to their Super Bowl yeah, puzzle. I don't know who that team is, though. I just I think they're going to have a hard, very hard time trying to trade him. Um, you know, I think he's probably going to be back next year, and I think they're just going to have to build up the offensive line and uh, you know hope that that changes things for him next year. Yeah, he'll be twenty eight. I mean, he doesn't have too many elite years left, and they're not they're not the Jets are not gunning for a Super Bowl next year. No. Uh, before I let you go, sir, I want to get your pick. Uh, you know, the, the Jets are underdogs here, three-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Steelers. What's your pick for Sunday? My pick, uh, it, I, I've, been, I've been in a bad slump the last month. Um, I'm just going into my usual December swoon. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick, I think I picked the Jets and the points in, uh, in the post. So I, I'll, I'll take the Jets. I, I don't. I like Sam Darnold in this game more than I like Duck Hodges. Oh, okay. And although, although, you know, what worries me is there could be a lot of Steeler fans in the in in uh, MetLife. 
there's going to definitely be a lot of Steelers fans. Yeah, that. may not feel maybe maybe Jamal will feel insulted again the way he did with the Raider fans. Maybe. But I'm picking the Jets. How about you? I'm picking the Jets. Did, have you mentioned that you almost nailed the Raven Jet score? I didn't mention that, but thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I had what well, I picked 42-13, which it was for a little while uh, there in the fourth quarter, and then the Jets added that one touchdown late to make it 42-21. So I just missed it. I want to thank Steve Duck Serby for joining the, the podcast today. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at NYPost underscore Serby and read his columns every day in the post and at NYPost.com. Thanks, sir. Thank you, Bry. See you. All right, Cos, before we take you into Sam's fantasy with our New York Post fantasy football writer, Samantha Praviti, I got to tell you about my fantasy matchup because I lost by .7. Samantha, I lost by .7 in the fantasy semifinals, and there is nothing more infuriating than needing 16 more passing yards from Drew Brees in a blowout game, and they keep putting him back in and giving you hope, and then all they do is hand the ball off three times. And then even on fourth down, when they went for it, they handed it off again. I mean, there were all these abundance of opportunities to get .7 freaking points, and I fell short. The only thing I have to take with me, Samantha Praviti, is that no one on my bench scored more. So it wasn't one of those situations where if I played my backup defense, uh, if I played the Saints defense, who I didn't start over the Seahawks defense, they ended up with less points than the Seahawks defense, or I played another player. I had no one on the bench that did better. So coaching-wise, I coached the hell out of my opportunity. I scored 140 points and still fell short. I had to get that off my chest. Anyways, here's Samantha Praviti with Sam's Fantasy for your Fantasy Football Championship. Tough feed, Jake. You truly hate to see it. Let's run through half of the weekend's late and let you know who to start and who to sit in the Fantasy Football Finals. Let's kick it off with the Texans in Tampa. Start Jameis Winston. He's leading the league in passing yards, second in touchdowns, and first in interceptions. Classic Jameis. Sit Carlos Hyde. The Bucks' run defense has been legit all season, allowing the fewest points to running backs all year. Can the Bills unseat the Pats for first place in the AFC East? Start the Patriots' DST. They're coming off of a four-interception game against the Bengals and have been a solid play all year. Expect them to be all over Josh Allen. Sit Julian Edelman. He's banged up and had his worst fantasy performance all year last week. It's an NFC West battle between the Rams and 49ers. Start Tyler Higbee. He led the team last week with 14 targets, 12 catches, and 111 yards, and now has three straight 100-yard games. Sit Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G's been up and down all year and was a huge letdown last week against Atlanta. Don't mortgage your championship hopes against a motivated Rams D. Next, we've got the Le'Veon Bell revenge match, Steelers at Jets. Start Le'Veon Bell. Whether or not you buy into the narrative, Bell should put up solid numbers on volume alone. Sit Jalen Samuels. He's a non-factor with James Conner back in action with two carries for negative one yard last week. Yuck. It's a down-south battle between two potential playoff teams, the Saints at Titans. Start A.J. Brown. He's put up huge numbers in three of the past four games and had more targets last week than the other three Titans receivers combined. Sit Latavius Murray. The Saints' run game has been shockingly quiet of late, and Murray hasn't been doing much with his touches. Kyle Allen experiment is over, at least for now. It's the Panthers at Colts. Start the Colts DST. Expect the Colts' defense to feast on rookie quarterback Will Greer in his debut for the Panthers. Sit Greg Olson. 
Don't expect much from the veteran tight end in his first game back from the concussion protocol. He's a touchdown-dependent play with Greer under center. It's a battle for the bottom between two teams that have a combined four wins this year, the Bengals at Dolphins. Start Devontae Parker. The Dolphins wideout just got paid and is having a breakout season now that Adam Gase is gone. Sit John Ross. Ross has been a dud since returning from IR and only has four catches in the last two games. Yuck. And finally, can Lamar and the Ravens make it 11 straight wins against the Browns? Start Mark Andrews. The Ravens tight end played through an injury last week and scored his eighth touchdown of the year. Sit Odell Beckham. What a fall from grace it's been for the former Giants wideout. He's been eclipsed by Jarvis Landry and is dealing with a groin injury. And that's all for Sam's Fantasy. You can read my Start Sit articles as well as the rest of fantasy football coverage at nypost.com. Go crush it in your finals. I'd like to welcome in now Kim Jones here on NFL Network. You're here on WFAN, uh, one of the great reporters covering football right now. Kim, thanks for joining us. I uh, want to talk a little Jets with you. I know you were out there on Wednesday. Um, what's your What's your feeling about, you know, kind of the direction this team is going in as they wrap up, you know, another playoffless season? You know, cause you know my glass tends to be half full, and until it just has no reason, then there's no way that it even gets a drop of water in it again. And the Jets, to me, have shown some resiliency this season. Sam with the mono, as we know, and then the injuries that followed that that he's played through. Uh, obviously, C.J. Mosley, an enormous loss. I, I like the idea that they've been able to hold it together and win a couple games. Because I do think the teams in our market, generally speaking, don't know how to win anymore. And they don't necessarily have leaders who can show them the way. Because those folks haven't won in this market or in some cases any other market. So I like that they're going to finish, I hope, a strong finish for the Jets. Um, it would be nice if they could get this one uh, this week. And then start to feel like next year can kind of be the breakthrough that I think a few of us at least thought might be this year. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this year you went into it thinking, well, they're probably a 500 team. If everything right. breaks right, maybe a little better. And then everything broke wrong really for them injury wise and everything. And they, they've been a little bit worse. Uh, the big story this week with the Steelers coming into MetLife is going to be Le'Veon Bell uh, facing his old team. Um, you know, from the games you've watched, from people you've talked to, what do you think, Kim, uh, you know, just hasn't really worked well with Le'Veon this year for the Jets? Yeah, it, it just, it's been sort of mystifying. I think when I do talk to some folks, you know, outside of this market about the Jets or Giants, in this case, the Jets and Le'Veon, you know, one of the things they obviously mentioned is the Pittsburgh offensive line. And I think that most of us, because I think most of us knew that was a really good offensive line, right? Like, I don't think that is some revelation, but they work together with such great chemistry. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you, I, I think while we think these guys are professionals, they should get it together, they should figure out the chemistry, I do think sometimes it just takes a long time. And in this case, I think maybe it hasn't been there. Uh, you know, has Le'Veon exactly looked like Pittsburgh Le'Veon, even when he's had some openings? You know, I think the honest answer there is no. Um, yeah. Can he find it again? You know, I, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't bet against him. But maybe the year off combined with the new O-line and, 
everything else. I just, you know, it's just weird to see him struggle as much as he has. And I know you've had some numbers that are pretty stark in terms of his explosive yeah. runs or his big, big runs, and they just haven't been there. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a run over 20 yards this year, which is pretty this is amazing. amazing. Yeah, That's amazing. Actually, he actually did have one in Cincinnati of 23 that got called back for a holding penalty on Tom Compton, I believe. Um, so, you know, the, but it's really remarkable that a running back could go through a year without one run of more than 20 yards. So right. they're going to they're gonna have to figure that out this offseason and maybe whether they trade – I don't know if they're going to trade him um, or if they're just going to try to hold on to him and bring in – hope the offensive line fixes things. But it's going to be a big storyline uh, going forward this offseason. Another one will be Jamal Adams. Um, and I know, like, I, I got to say, I think, Kim, you were one of the first people I ever heard talk about Jamal back at the Combine when he, you know, when he was yep. in the draft. I covered him pretty thoroughly. You know, what What do you see as his future with the Jets? Do you think, you know, they, they're going to lock him up long-term, or do you think he's going to be talked about trades again like they were in October? You know what's funny, Cause I was thinking about Jamal's combine on my drive home from the Jets today. Oh, right. It's kind of funny you mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> weird, right? Um, and real quickly, just to catch folks up, because if you're a Jets fan, you know, I think you might like this. When I was at the Combine and on the floor of the Combine, and I'm lucky to be the reporter who is there, uh, it's my favorite assignment of the year, when the state, when the defensive backs worked out on that Monday, I watched Jamal Adams, and I said on the air that he was the most natural leader I had seen at the Combine because he was rallying the DBs in his group, right. even though – you know, cause as you know, at the combine, they're kind of competing with, they are competing with each other because one of them is going to be the first DB taken. One of them is going to be second and, you know, and so on. So he was really, it was almost like he was coaching up his own team with some of the ways he was yelling and trying to inspire the guys. And they seemed to, um, they seemed to really respond really well to Jamal Adams. And some of them probably never met him before. I'm sure some of them never met him before. So I remember yeah. that year being at Ohio State's pro day and Todd Bowles was there. I remember saying to Todd, you guys have to find a way to get Jamal Adams. He'd change your room. And Todd just kind of, you know, Todd, I mean, right. thanks, Jim. You know, like they didn't need help necessarily. <laughs> but, right. well, you know, that's a different topic. But, yeah. um, I, you know, listen, it's, it's, it's it, you know, that was one thing in my life I got right. I mean, I think Jamal yeah, Adams has been it. a really good jet. I just, yeah. I do worry that when they go to asset allocation, that means cash. And, and salary cap room, I do worry that they say that's not the position we're going to prioritize and look what we can get for him. Because on, yeah. let's face it, on a winning team, Jamal Adams could be an absolute final piece to getting over any kind of hump that that team needs to get over, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and, and like when the trade stuff was going on, you know, in the end of yep. October, I was kind of thinking along those lines of like, well, is it smart for them if they can get a first, another first round pick, like, is that smart? And then, right. But then he went on a tear, like shortly thereafter against the Giants and the Redskins and the Raiders. Yep. He played really well. And I was like, well, you know, if you trade him away, there's no guarantee you're getting a player as good as him with that first round pick. So no doubt. to me, you know, I know you don't pay safeties usually, but they've gotten paid lately, whether it's Landon Collins or Earl Thomas, uh, Kevin Byard in Tennessee. So, you know, I think they have to look long and hard at that. I'm curious, Kim, you, you have a good perspective on this because you cover not only the Jets and Giants, you, you've done a lot of Bills this season, you've done a lot of Browns this season. So 
with the young quarterbacks, you know, whether it's Don or yep. uh, Allen in Buffalo, Baker in Cleveland, even Daniel Jones here yep. with the Giants, and Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson in Baltimore, who's kind of in another category right now. You know, what mm-hmm. what do you see when when you're up close? You know, what do you see as kind of the keys for those organizations and how they've gone about developing these guys and building around them versus the teams that maybe haven't done as good of a job? What what stood out to you about that? I'll mention Lamar only in this because you're right. He kind of has separated himself and he's remarkable and awfully fun to watch and great for the league, in my opinion. Um, At the combine last, you know, the the one a year ago when Sam and all of those guys were there, obviously with him, I asked one of the talent evaluators about Lamar. And, you know, back then it was, does he have to change to receiver? Can he make it as a quarterback? Blah, blah, blah. And a guy looked at me, a talent evaluator looked at me and said, all I know is every game of his I watched, he was the best player on the field. And cause right now, when you watch Ravens games, he's often the best player on the field. That is a remarkable trait. And he's a remarkable athlete and has obviously worked very hard, uh, especially for, I think from last season to this, uh, in terms of honing his quarterback skills that we consider the more traditional quarterback skills, like throwing the football and everything else that goes with it. So uh, Lamar, as you noted, a little bit different than the rest. Um, I think the other teams are all in similar positions, even if the results have been a bit different. Josh Allen and the Bills obviously headed to the playoffs. The Browns aren't. We know the Jets aren't. But I think all of those quarterbacks have some similarities. They all can move uh, pretty well. They certainly can move the pocket. They all have issues, at least at times, with accuracy and decision-making, not not. Uh, unheard of in young quarterbacks. In fact, that, that's what you expect. I, I will say this, which I truly believe being around those three teams in particular a lot. I think each locker room loves its guy. Now, is Baker a little bit of a different personality? Yeah, but Cleveland ultimately might need that. This season has just completely gone off the tracks and off the rails. But Baker ultimately, when he's completely healthy and when uh, this group apparently all comes back together or mostly comes back together with a better O-line, maybe becomes what we thought they'd be this year and perhaps with less preseason fanfare, which might help. In Josh and Sam, who from what I understand talk on a very regular basis, they're very good friends, I, you know, I think with Josh, Josh is blessed with a defense that's been mostly healthy and that's been largely almost shut down cause that, that Bill's defense is terrific. And the one thing, and I'm not suggesting the Jets don't have this, but the one thing that stands out to me about the Bills is they have the kind of culture, I know it's an overused word, that other teams talk about having. They have it. Their defense never utters a peep when Josh Allen can't find it. You know, when Josh Allen starts slowly or throws a big pick late or something along those lines. They trust him. They like him. They know he works his tail off. And they are as much of a complete team as I've been around uh, in a a while and certainly this season. I really appreciate the time, Tim. And I'll see you in Florham Park maybe before the end of the season or or maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be out there before the end of the season. Thanks so much. I, I really enjoy it. And now bring on my producer, Jake Brown, to dive into the NFL Week 16 betting lines with Brown's Best Bets. All right, all right, all right. It's that time of the show. It's Brown's Best Bets for NFL Week 16. And let's start with my three best bets against the spread. First off, I don't know how, but the Texans are only three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bucs in Tampa Bay. Listen, I know the Bucs 
are improving. They're seven and seven. Winston stats are off the charts, mixed in with a billion turnovers. But the Texans are coming off a monster road win against a division foe. They are feeling themselves right now. There is no chance in the world that they lose this game to the Bucks, and I think they cover. And if you want to be really, really safe here, by the point to make it two and a half. But I see the Texans winning this game by at least a touchdown. Number two. The Jaguars are seven-point underdogs against the Falcons. And listen, this game is not one you should really touch. But I don't know how you're going to favor one 5-9 team by seven points over another 5-9 team. Both these teams are not good. It's going to be the battle for who's worse. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than what Vegas is calling right now. I think the Jaguars do cover here by the half point to be safe. Take the Jaguars plus 7.5 in the Dirty South. And finally, take the Saints minus 2.5 in Tennessee. They're not showing the Saints enough credit here for being the team that they are. They're really not. And I know everyone's buying into the Titans. I haven't been doing it yet all year, but the New Orleans Saints are 11 and 3. The Titans are 8 and 6. The Saints just have a better overall roster than the Titans do, and I see them winning here by at least a field goal. I mean, you don't even need to buy the half point. They're being pretty generous here, only give them two and a half. All right, if you're new to the program, I do parlays every week, a three-team parlay, inject them into my veins. $25 gets you one 50, 50 bucks gets you three hundo. So let's do it. Three-team parlay. It involves over-unders and usually a spread mix in there. I haven't done an under yet. I'm sticking with the over-trend. Rams 49ers, over 45 in San Francisco. Listen, the 49ers are averaging 30 a game, and they're at home. The Rams are averaging 24. I think this is going to be an absolute shootout. And the Rams find themselves in a lot of trouble here. This is a monster game for them. If they want any sort of playoff hopes at 8-6, and they have to win their last two and get some help. So hammer the over 45 in San Fran. Number two, Bills Patriots over 37.5 in Foxborough. The Pats finally found their groove. They scored 34. I know it was against a bad Bengals team, but they they realized they could score again. Everyone was worried about them. There's not going to be inclement weather in Foxborough. Patriots average 26. The Bills average 21. I just think this is too low of a number for these two teams right now in what's a playoff-like game as the Bills are trying to fight to maybe steal this division somehow from the Patriots. They still got a shot to do so. And finally, the last part of your three-team parlay, take the Packers plus five in Minnesota against the Vikings. I have no idea how the better team is the underdog here in Minnesota, especially when it's prime time Kirk Cousins. We know prime time Kirk is everyone's favorite Kirk, a.k.a. the not very good Kirk. So I'm taking the Packers to cover here. There's a good chance they win this game. I think if they don't, they're not going to lose by more than three points. It's going to be a nail biter in Minnesota and hammer the Packers to cover plus five. That's it for Brown's best bets. Only one week left in the season, the Christmas season. Hanukkah, Christmas, and Kwanzaa is here. So when you win, I want you to cash your winnings, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the biggest shovel known to man and shovel up that snow squall that you just saw hit us in New York and New Jersey. And if you knew what a squall was, I want you to buy a dictionary for every man in America with your winnings. Good luck in week 16, gamblers. We'll talk to you in the season finale next week. That will do it for this episode of Gangs All Here, our New York Jets football podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for always making it happen. 
Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms for the best Jets content. You can find more Jets news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back on Monday to recap the Jets game against the Steelers. See you next week.